Good morning, ABC. Thank you guys for being with us. Uh, before we jump into today's message, I wanted to share a few things that are coming up here at the church over the next few weeks to get you guys plugged in and connected here at ABC. Uh, the first is on Sunday, June 4th, we've been hosting a Sunday lunch uh, in the courtyard after our second service. We've got hot dogs and hamburgers and just an opportunity to gather as a community, as a church together. Uh, we invite you, whether you um, have been watching online for a while, to come down and just hang out with us and get to know some of the people that are enjoying the services here on campus and uh, spend some time getting to know uh, your church. Uh, it's $5. Uh, again, hot dogs and hamburgers, Sunday, June 4th, after our second service. Um, the next uh, thing I want to make you guys aware of is we're going to be hosting our second intentional fathering uh, gathering, and uh, I'm really excited uh, about the men at our church plugging in and engaging in this, in this way. Um, it's on uh, Wednesday night, uh, June 7th at 7 p.m. So uh, typically our youth ministry night, um, Wednesday, again, 7 p.m. in downtown. We'll just circle up around some round tables, have some really good conversation, uh, sharing some of our challenges, uh, a lot of our wins, and just engaging together as a group to figure out how to parent better and more intentionally for our kids. Um, so I invite you guys to join us for that. Again, it's Wednesday, June 7th at 7 p.m. right here on campus. And with that, I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the service. Well, good morning. Welcome to ABC. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Memorial Day weekend, and Memorial Day is an opportunity where we just pause and, and reflect on those that sacrifice their lives um, for our country, but, but also for the good of um, the cause of justice in the world. And so sometimes, you know, when our military forces and, and even uh, some of the humanitarian efforts that we participate in as a country are, are less about the sovereignty of our nation and more about standing for um, the cause of others who can't stand for or speak for themselves. Um, and so anyway, that's the, um, the weekend, the holiday weekend that we're celebrating which actually lands in the month of May, and May happens to be a rather historic month as it relates to um, kind of the global effort. And one in particular event that took place in May was 83 years ago. I'm guessing many of you, uh, or if any of you uh, would remember or were uh, living back in the 40s, um, May 10th, of 1940 was a day that is known as the day of Blitzkrieg. That was when um, Nazi Germany um, had a concerted effort um, to invade multiple countries all at the same time, all in the same day. And so they invaded Belgium and France and the Netherlands on May 10th. And, and then we have kind of in the middle of this chaos, we have the country of Britain um, who's scrambling in that zone to try to determine which front they're going to lean into and, and which front they're going to fight on. Meanwhile, the, the political climate in Britain was, was really divided. And so three days after Blitzkrieg on May 13th, 1940, the prime minister at the time, Neville Chamberlain, resigns and leaves the country's leadership to the infamous Winston Churchill um, in the middle of this massive catastrophic war. And ultimately, as you know, for those of you that know uh, history, world history, um, Churchill ends up leading uh, Britain and Allied forces to victory, um, ultimately um, resulting in D-Day in 1944 when they invaded um, France on Normandy. But it was Churchill's kind of his way with words, his wooing effect on, on others um, that really won the ear of his people and ultimately um, was able to rally the sacrificial war efforts that took place. Um, and so Winston, Winston Churchill was credited with coining this term, don't take no for an answer. 
And because of his tenacity and his ability to plow ahead in the midst of adversity and fight for victory, ultimately there was some great results and great fruit. And so he's quoted saying, don't take no for an answer. This is in the 30s. Churchill says, never submit to failure. Do not be fobbed off with mere personal success or acceptance. You will make all kinds of mistakes, but as long as you are generous and true and also fierce, you cannot hurt the world or even seriously distress her. Don't take no for an answer. And this morning, as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 15 on Memorial Weekend, with that phrase in mind, there is a woman uh, that we're going to see, her story, um, where she is unwilling or her faith is unwilling to take no for an answer. And I think there's a great deal for us to learn from her um, tenacity in this story. And so would you turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible um, and you're, you're at home watching, maybe grab, go grab a Bible. Um, I think it's helpful to open the pages of scripture and just read along. Um, if not, you could maybe uh, look it up on your phone. We'll put it on the screen. You can follow along. But let me read this passage in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. So Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Let's stop there for a minute and, and just pause and examine what's happening in this passage. So Jesus goes up to Tyre. Remember, he just had this, um, this conversation, sort of a sequence of teaching on what comes out of a person, the the words that you use, the actions, that's what defiles a person. And so we looked at that last week. And so after he's done with this teaching, he, he packs up and he starts to go to really probably about as far out of town as he could realistically go. He goes all the way up to Tyre, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And then he's engaged with this woman, a foreign woman, a needy woman, likely speaking the dialect of Tyre, who's crying out and begging for help. And Jesus doesn't answer her. It's Unlike Jesus, it's uncharacteristic. So we're confused. And the disciples see this as a nuisance. And they're like, Jesus, um, send her away. So finally, Jesus responds to her request with a couple of curious sentences about his purpose and his calling. And for a quick minute, it appears as we read the story that Jesus is heartless, like he refers to dogs in the sequence, and we're really confused as you're reading this, thinking, man, this is not the Jesus that I, that I know, and this is, doesn't seem in line with the way that he is interacting with any other needy, hungry, um, hurt, or wounded, or oppressed people. So what I want to do is I want to keep reading in the story. I want you to see how the rest of the story plays out so we can put it in context and try to make sense of what is Jesus doing here? What is he saying to this woman? How is he responding to her? And what's uh, there to learn from her faith in the process? So if you continue on, I'm going to skip over verse 28 for a second. I'm going to come back to verse 28, but let's go to 29. After he has this interaction with the woman, it says, verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and sat down there. 
And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowds wandered or wondered. When they saw the, the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. Okay, so Jesus is in Tyre, and then he travels from there up to Sidon. I want you to take a look at this map so you can kind of see if you were to look at the kind of upper left-hand side of the map right there on what's labeled as the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. He's up here in Tyre on the coast and he goes from there even further north. He goes up to Sidon and then from there he travels all the way back. And we learn from Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 7, he details this exact same story, but fills out some of the missing pieces for us. He goes down to the coast, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and he makes his way down into the Decapolis. And when he gets to the Decapolis, he starts doing this ministry. So we see the healings and other things. Stick with me here, because this is an important piece of context. He goes down to this region, and I want you to see on this map that in the Decapolis, it's outside of the Jewish rule and reign. So the Herods that we talked about a few weeks ago, and, the, and Archelaus, the leaders that were designated over the Jewish regions, um, are separate from this Decapolis area, meaning this area, this region, was primarily Greek. It was made up of people like this woman from Syria. It was culturally diverse. It was religiously diverse. Matter of fact, it was hostile towards the Jews in some respect. So Jesus goes from Tyre and Sidon, two Greek areas, kind of a colony, if you will, down to the Decapolis, which is made up of 10 different cities, non-Jewish cities, and he begins to heal people. And in Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, we see this beautiful sequence of where it says, great crowds came to him and they brought him the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and many others and they put him at his feet and he healed them. So it's almost poetic in which the way that Matthew describes Jesus walking into this region, the Decapolis region, he's just healing, he's loving, he's serving. He's continuing to do the ministry that he did. And I want you to see that this is a non-Jewish region that Jesus was serving and doing ministry to a Gentile population, and he feeds 4,000 Gentiles, likely, maybe some Jews sprinkled in there. But this population that was crowded around Jesus to hear him teach and to watch him perform miracles was a Gentile population. And then there's a really important line in verse 31. It says this, the end of verse 31, and they glorified the God of Israel, which says to me that the God of Israel was not their God, that they were not serving the Jewish God of Israel, that they, they had pagan gods, they had foreign gods, they were Gentiles, they had no gods. They see Jesus, 
They watch him perform miracles. They're fed by him. And it says they glorified the God of Israel, which is so significant because it provides the context for the conversation that Jesus is having with this woman up in Tyre. The question is, was Jesus really opposed to the Greeks? Was he really a bigot? I don't think so. He went to the Decapolis and he healed and he fed thousands of people. That's the Jesus we know. And so with that as a backdrop, seeing the ministry progression of what Jesus is doing in this moment, I want you to go back, rewind to me or with me to the story of this woman up in Tyre. She's called the Syrophoenician woman or a Canaanite woman. And let me narrate this scene for you or paraphrase this scene for you. So the disciples come to Jesus and they're saying, could you get rid of this woman? She's she's a bother. Can you send her away? But Jesus responds with this interesting line to his disciples. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. It's as if he heard their request to help her. He said, oh, you want me to help her? And they're going, no, uh, Jesus, I think you misunderstood. We don't want you to help her. We want you to get rid of her. And he looks at this woman in that context and he says, it would be wrong for me to feed the animals before the children, almost with shoulders shrugged, like almost quizzing her. Like, would it be wrong? Wouldn't it be wrong for me to feed the animals before the children? And she responds with this beautiful line, yes, Jesus, but even the dogs get the crumbs. And with a snap, he looks to her and he says, you're right. Yes, you get it. That's exactly it. You see, the healing and the freedom, the hope of the kingdom of heaven is for everyone. And he says in that moment, your daughter is healed. See, there's a banter. There's a play on words here that's happening between Jesus and this woman. He's pointing out some obvious cultural distinctions. He's pointing out some religious elitism that took place in that region because of the Jews and the the way that they function. And so Jesus is playing a little bit with the dynamic that existed in the day culturally. And he's almost quizzing her saying, but wouldn't it be wrong for me to give food to the dogs before the children? She goes, yes, but even the dogs can eat the crumbs. And she gets it. She gets that the the healing, the ministry, the feeding of Jesus, of the Savior, of the Lord is for everyone. It is not exclusive. And just as Jesus always does, he subverts systems. He shatters expectations. He overrides process and he responds to genuine and tenacious faith. That's what's happening here. It's not Jesus isolating himself from a Greek or from a Gentile woman. No, no. Jesus is responding to a genuine, persistent faith, a faith that that will not take no for an answer. And this scene is tucked right here in this Uh, middle of of the teachings of Jesus, the religious opposition that he's experiencing from the Pharisees. 
following some miracles and some healings and some prayers and then followed by some more miracles and healings and prayers. And it's here dropped right in the middle of this chapter to teach us an important lesson about faith. See, this story is not about a Canaanite woman getting access to Jesus. That's not what the story is about. The story is about the cultural pretext that Jesus breaches in order to prove a point about a woman's genuine faith. The story is all about her faith. It's all about her willingness, her persistence, her tenacity. See, tenacious faith trumps circumstance every time. And in this case, posture eclipses position. When it comes to faith, don't take no for an answer. So what I want to do is take a few minutes to examine this woman's faith. There's a lot here in this passage we could lean into. We could look at the second feeding of the thousands of people, the 4,000, which we saw, you know, just a few um, verses or uh, passages before this. We could take a look at the healings that Jesus does. We could take a look at the Gentiles saying that they were worshiping or they're glorifying the God of Israel. There's a lot here, but what I want to do is examine the faith of a woman who had persistence to see her daughter healed and ask, might her faith inform ours? Might she encourage us this morning as we process through this passage? So the first thing I want to show you is that her faith was met with silence, and that's painful. Look at verse 23. So uh, back to 22, actually. Have mercy on me, she says, O Lord, son of David, my daughter, severely oppressed by a demon. She cries out to God, and in verse 23, he did not answer her a word. Her call for help was met with silence. He did not answer her. Jesus knew that this woman's daughter would in fact be healed, right? But Jesus knows the future. He's God incarnate. He knows what he's going to do. He knows how the story will end and how it will play out. And yet in the moment when she cries out, he didn't answer her a word. Jesus remained silent. And silence from God is quite possibly the most painful and frustrating thing that I think any of us as Christians could experience or have experienced. It's those moments where we cry out, God, why aren't you answering me? Do you even care? Can you even hear me? Why aren't you responding? Why aren't you moving if you're such a good God? And I'm reminded of some of the profound stories in scripture where God is silent. And I ask myself, what is the purpose of this silence? And look to Job, which is a famous story of, a, of just a tragic um, circumstance where Job is walking through affliction. He's lost everything and he's now been made a mockery by everybody who knew him, all of his friends. And he sits humiliated and he cries out to God. And in Job 30, verse 20, it says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Maybe you can relate to those words. I've cried out for help. I've called and I hear nothing back. It feels like you're standing there looking at me, but not responding. Like this woman, it feels like you hear me. I think you... I think you can hear me, but you're not responding. Of course, we know what happens in Job's story. He has this lesson in humility. He has this lesson in 
God's sovereignty and then ultimately his providence. Job is, is blessed um, tenfold with what he had lost. Or I think of the years of Zechariah and Elizabeth early in the Gospel of Luke where they're waiting, they're praying for a child. God, give us a child. How come we haven't had a child? And they're, they're waiting and praying for so long that they get beyond the childbearing years. And God finally answers. In their silence, or in God's silence, their faith, I believe, is strengthened. There's this line from uh, Randy Alcorn that's just so helpful that I think kind of informs this process of waiting. He says, if your faith is based on lack of struggle and affliction and absence of doubt and questions, that's a foundation of sand. Such faith is only one frightening diagnosis or shattering phone call away from collapse. Token faith will not survive the dark night of the soul. When we think God is silent or absent, God may show us that our faith is false or superficial. Upon its ruin, we can learn to rebuild on God, our rock, and the only foundation that can bear the weight of our trust. See, in the silence, we realize that our faith, when we examine it, we ask ourselves, is this real faith or was this token faith? Because token faith won't endure the dark night of the soul. But if this is real faith, if I actually believe that God can and will move, then I'm going to wait. I'm going to continue to lean in and listen and allow for him to do what he is doing in the process. And that's what I see this, this faith of the woman. This woman's faith is tested in silence. If she really believes Jesus can heal her daughter, she'll persist. If she doesn't really believe it, if it's just a token faith, she's going to walk away and go, oh, he didn't answer me. Regardless of the silence, her faith persists. Don't take no for an answer. She continues to ask. But it isn't only silence that this woman's faith is met with. His disciples, in verse 23, begged him to send her away. He says, His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And here we see this woman's faith met with opposition. Not opposition from Jesus, but opposition from his followers. Well-meaning Christ followers, I believe, can get in the way of what Jesus is intending and planning to do. These people, these men in this case, are not speaking on behalf of Jesus, but they are identified with Jesus. Not unlike the time that they tried to send away the parents who had brought their children to Jesus, but he rebukes them in Matthew 19, says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. This is not the message of Jesus, but it's the identifier with Jesus that gets in the way. It's possible that maybe your faith has been met with opposition. Maybe it's been opposed by those who identify with Jesus, not necessarily speaking on his behalf, but identifying with him. It might even have been hurtful for you. It may have come from other church members or even leaders in the church. On behalf of other followers of Jesus who are just trying to get it right, but we don't always get it right. I'm, I'm sorry if that's your story. If you've experienced someone opposing you or your faith that identifies with Jesus, and you mistook that for Jesus himself opposing you, 
that's not the kind of plan God had for his church. That's not the kind of church we want to be. This woman is met with opposition by the disciples. And mind you, these are the saints, the apostles, the founders of the church of Christ itself. So if these guys are, are dull enough to oppose this woman in the moment that Jesus had planned to provide healing, in a moment that he had planned to respond to her faith. If they missed it, if they were dense enough to let this one get by him, then how many more times in the last couple of millennia have church leaders been too dense to see the ministry that was right in front of them and dismissed or opposed the innocent and genuine faith of others? Jesus always gets it right, but his followers try as they might, don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. And it might even be part of your story that this church, Atascator Bible Church, has even felt to you at times like there were barriers or obstacles opposing your faith or your story. And for that, I'm sorry, we don't always get it right. But we're going to continue leaning in and asking God, how are you going to work in the midst of this adversity to continue to grow our faith? And that's why we, it's so important we have a community of followers of Jesus. We have a plurality of leaders. We have church members. We have accountability within leadership so that others who are following Jesus can direct and correct so that we can continue growing to become more like Christ and to get it right more often than we get it wrong. That's our goal. If your faith has been met with opposition, though, remember that your faith is not in men or an institution that's created by men. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus always gets it right. Don't take no for an answer. Don't let the, the misguided leading of men or women that looks like an opposition or obstacle to your faith keep you from pressing on in to Jesus because this woman's faith was met with opposition. She didn't take no for an answer. And then finally we see that her faith was met with tradition. Look at verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus states this obvious barrier and the woman knew the barrier well. He was a Jewish rabbi sent with the primary mission to the Jews. She was not Jewish. Therefore, his mission was not to her. She didn't need a lesson in Jewish elitism. She didn't need to be reminded that she was not a Jew. In fact, other than being a woman, this woman in this case, in this context, was not even a second-class citizen in this environment. She was not the foreigner. Jesus and his disciples were the foreigner up there in Tyre on the side of the sea of the Mediterranean Sea. But here's how I see her responding, and this is so important and helpful. I see her responding by saying something to the extent of, Jesus, your calling is no business of mine, but you are Lord, and I need a Lord, so Lord, please help me. She goes right to the heart of who Jesus is. Not about what he came to do or the context in which he was serving. She goes right to the heart of who she knows him to be. You are Lord and I need a Lord. I'm not concerned with who you're supposed to be talking to or ministering to. All I know is that I need a Lord. So Lord, please help. She came and knelt before him. And this is in verse 24. 
Lord, or sorry, verse 25. Lord, help me. This woman worshiped Jesus for who he was in spite of the tradition that seemed to stand in the way. It did not hinder her worship. And I love that. It's so beautiful. I was thinking about uh, that film just came out a few months ago, The Jesus Revolution. Have you seen it? Oh, it's a great story, a really cool kind of retelling of the story of Calvary Chapel under Chuck Smith's leadership and, and how Greg Laurie, who founded Harvest, um, came to faith in the Jesus movement of kind of the hippie culture in the 60s. Really great, well-made movie. Um, but what was so striking to me is there's this kind of ragtag hippie culture, right, that's making inroads into a very formal church. And so Chuck Smith's church, they've got people in suits and they're sitting in pews and they're very proper and they each have their own pews that they sit in every Sunday. Maybe sounds like a church you grew up in or maybe ABC. This is my seat. I come at the nine o'clock service. I'm always here and I sit three seats in from the center on the third row and don't mess with my seat, right? So that's the kind of church environment that these hippies, these young kind of free-spirited people that just are hungry for Jesus show up to the church and they're not really welcome in the church when they first show up in, in the movie kind of tells that story. But you see this posture, this amazing, genuine, spirited posture of kind of going like, I just want to be in the room. I, I, I'm just here to worship Jesus. It's okay. I'll sit on the floor. And it's, I'll, I'll stand in the back. It's okay. Like, I just want to be in the room. I'll stand in the back. And that's the mentality I see that translates so well to the story of this woman. She's like, no, I'm not worried about the, you know, the cultural barriers or, you know, whatever the mission or calling of your disciples and what you guys are supposed to be doing. I'm not concerned. I just want to be in the room. I'll, it's okay. I'll sit in the back. No, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll just eat the crumbs. I see a savior. I see a Lord and I'm going to move toward him. And it's okay if I can't sit up front. I'm okay with that. And I think this genuine worship surpassing the tradition in this woman's story is just so beautiful that way. And I wish we, we had more of that hunger that we would just want to get in the room. I'm not so concerned with where I'm sitting or what position I have or what the rules or the, the context is of me coming into the room. I'm just going to get in the room. I love that. Because her faith was in Christ. Her faith was not in Christianity. There's a difference. And so we come back to the story in verse 28. I promised you I'd return to verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed immediately. That's such a beautiful ending to this story as you see this woman kind of push through some of the, the facade of religion or structure cultural barrier, opposition. She pushes through it with persistence. She won't take no for an answer. And Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. Your daughter is healed. And her faith in this instance is met with a miracle. Beautiful. So Jesus never intended for this woman's desire or request to go unanswered. He never intended to keep her daughter under demonic oppression. It wasn't the point. He responds with this line, great is your faith. And in Mark chapter seven, he says, because you said this, because you called it out, 
You said the obvious, that I am Lord and you need a Lord and you'll even eat the crumbs off the floor. Your daughter's healed. See, her faith was met with a miracle. Just like the servant of the centurion who came to Jesus, just like the demoniac in the Decapolis who was set free from his demon oppression, just like the blind who received sight or the paraplegic who was able to walk, their persistent faith led them to the point where Jesus said, yes, that is faith. That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of response and reaction I want to see from people when they recognize me as Lord. Yes, you're healed. It's a beautiful faith story. A woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. And so I ask you just to consider as we wrap up this morning, where's your faith obstacle today? As you kind of process through your relationship to Jesus versus your relationship to the church or your relationship to other believers, to Christians, where might the obstacle be? Are you being met with silence? I recognize that's hard. That's a painful place to be. Is God trying to teach you something about the sincerity of your faith in the midst of his silence? I don't know what he's teaching you or what his timing is, but I know that if it's genuine and authentic faith, a faith that's sifted through silence, it proves to be persistent in the midst of silence. Just like this woman, she persisted through it. She didn't take no for an answer and just move on. She persisted. And maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's more that your faith is met with opposition, that when you come to Jesus, it just feels like there's so many barriers and there's so many rules and there's, <clears throat> people are making it difficult for you. Maybe the even institution of the church over time has made it difficult for you. That you felt like at times, man, this... It shouldn't be so hard to come to Jesus. And if that's where you're at today, remember that your faith is in Jesus Christ. Your faith is not in his followers. And to push through that. Maybe your faith is being met with tradition. The cultural or the religious or the institutional context that exists around your faith has become a barrier. And for that, I want to remind you that Jesus is Lord. And for this woman, it meant pushing through the barrier of institution, just saying, I, want to ju- I just want to be in the room. I just want to get close to the feet of Jesus. I, I just want to be near you. And for others, you might need the miracle. You might be coming to Jesus right now just saying, I, I don't... Yes, I'm, I'm, I've been met with silence. Yes, I've been met with opposition. Yes, there's some tradition that has clouded, but I'm here, I'm worshiping, I'm ready. I wanna hear from Jesus. I want him to respond. I need a miracle. My encouragement to you is push through the silence and the, and the barrier and the, the difficult context and expect the miracle. I think Jesus still does miracles. I think he still responds supernaturally to genuine faith. And and in that note, I I just want to remind you that there is always room for God to move 
in whatever way he should choose, in whatever circumstance, whether that's a career circumstance, a health circumstance, a family dynamic, a relational, whatever those things might be. And if you need prayer, if you, if you feel like, ah, I just, I need to have that genuine faith and I wanna have someone pray that way with me, we would love to do that. Come on down to the church anytime. Give us a call. We would love to walk through a prayerful process the same way we see this woman being persistent before Jesus, we will persist with you. And I encourage you to persist, expecting the miracle. Let me pray for you. Father, we're grateful that you give us these kind of stories. And, and even in the, in the confusing sense at first read, it causes us to both pause and then dig. And so as we've dug, we, we've seen that, Lord, you're, you're not exclusive in your approach that you certainly didn't have in mind any desire to bring healing, hope, the kingdom of heaven, the message of the gospel to a select elite group of people. That we're standing here because the gospel has reached the corners of the earth, that your church has expanded far beyond the first century, far beyond um, the Middle East, far beyond uh, the walls of a building. And so we're here, much like this woman saying, I don't, I don't know all the rules. I, I don't have the right last name maybe or come from the right family. I didn't maybe grow up in the right tradition, but I see a Lord and I need a Lord. I see a healer and I need a miracle. That's where I'm standing today. So I ask, Lord, that you would encourage everybody that's reading through this passage, that's processing through this message with me this morning to persist in their faith, to not take no for an answer, to not too quickly dismiss the opposition, to push through, and to see genuine fruit from genuine faith. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Um, we hope that you can join us on campus. Uh, just a reminder, um, our services are at 8, 9, and 1045 every Sunday. Have a great week, and I will see you back on campus real soon.